Well, hello. Today is March 21st. You're listening to Born on This Day podcast. I'm Marco Timpano. And I'm Bill Antonio. Bill, I want to wish you a happy National Common Courtesy Day. Ah, screw you, Marco. Get out of my way. <laughs> well, National Common Courtesy for everyone else serves as a reminder of the behavior that keeps society from melting into a sea of madness. This day brings <laughs> awareness to how important common, common courtesy is in our lives. Yes. It's, that's an expression my mother would often say, common courtesy. Yeah, it's a, it's a rather dated expression. We just call yeah. it manners now. Yeah, fair enough. Well, listen, if you were born today, I hope you have manners. But as an Aries born on March 21st, you are bold and fearless, but also emotional and caring. You fight for what you want, but you know when to back, back it up especially if someone uh, close to you asks for help. Well, Gary Oldman certainly has manners. He celebrates a birthday today. And one time a fan came to his office and asked if he would sign her breast. And he decided it would be rude not to. He recently made headlines for his third Oscar nomination in the David Fincher film Mank. His career going back to the early 80s when his work in theater won him the Time Out's Fringe Award for Best Newcomer in The Pope's Wedding. His film career was ignited by his lead performance in the punk romance Sid and Nancy, followed by his portrayal of Joe Orton in Prick Up Your Ears. His Hollywood career was ignited by his playing the lead role in Bram Stoker's Dracula in 1992. He had a series of memorable villains in The Fifth Element, Air Force One, and Lost in Space, later appeared in the Harry Potter films as Sirius Black, and received his first Oscar nomination for Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy in 2011. He won Best Actor for his portrayal of Winston Churchill in Darkest Hour, and this year will be seen on the series Slow Horses. He was born on this day in London, England in 1958. Scott Eastwood was 20 years old before Clint Eastwood acknowledged him as his son, That year, casting him in his World War II drama, Flags of Our Fathers, acting took off quickly for the younger Eastwood, further working for his father in Gran Torino and Invictus, and appearing in Chasing Mavericks, Fury, Snowden, Suicide Squad, and The Fate of the Furious. Most recently, he was in The Outpost, and he was born on this day in Carmel, California in 1986. Timothy Dalton studied at RADA but left before completing his training and joined the Birmingham Repertory Theatre, saying that it took years to undo the damage caused him by the teachers at drama school. He later joined the Royal Shakespeare Company while on film, his six-foot-two stature and green eyes made him a natural movie star. His debut in the Oscar-winning Lion in Winter in 1968 was followed by Mary Queen of Scots, Sextet with Mae West, Agatha, and the miniseries of Jane Eyre. In 1987, he became the fourth actor to take on the role of James Bond, appearing in only two films, The Living Daylights and License to Kill. He later starred in The Beautician and the Beast, Hot Fuzz, and the series Penny Dreadful. He was born on this day in Colwyn Bay, Wales in 1946, and I had no idea that he was that tall. Oh, wow. And wasn't he in the like follow-up to Gone with the Wind, uh, Scarlet? Scarlet? Yeah, he played yeah. Red Butler, and everyone was upset that they cast a Brit in the role. And he said, well, it's better than a damn Yankee playing the part. <laughs> I'm still upset by it, clearly. Well, uh, have you seen that movie? The movie is upsetting. No, I've never seen it. It's but really you know what shinsy. movie 
I got in my head yesterday. I think because it, it was uh, William Hurt's birthday. Was it the notorious Patty Page or whatever you guys no. were talking about? <laughs> no, yesterday? Patty Page. <laughs> Page the rage. rage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it was Gorky Park. I never saw it, but I remember as a kid, it, it like was always being mentioned. Did you ever see oh. Gorky Park? Yeah, it's a rather forgettable thriller, but I know what you mean. When we're kids, sometimes there's a movie that for some reason becomes our symbol for what grownups watch. Yeah. And so we become obsessed with it. And then we finally watch it and we're like, oh, it's just a movie. You know, like we, as a kid, you think this is going to unlock the key to the secrets of life or something. Yeah. yeah. That and the thorn birds, which I've never right. seen. Me neither. No. My parents My watched it. Obsession when I was a kid. Yeah. yeah. Okay. There should be a podcast on the Thornbirds. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see uh, what kind of thorny situation this person got himself into. A knee injury sidelined Matthew Broderick's athletic pursuits and pushed him towards the arts, following in the footsteps of his actor father and playwright painter mother. As a teenager, he made his debut in a workshop of the play on Valentine's Day quickly followed by his parts in the Neil Simon play Brighton Beach Memoirs, for which he won a Tony, and Simon's film Max Dugan Returns. He starred in War Games, hasn't aged a bit if you watch that, um, <laughs> and Simon's film, uh, sorry, and Lady Hawk, and his signature role Ferris Bueller's Day Off, for which he was nominated for a Golden Globe. He reprised his Brighton Beach role in Biloxi Blues and appeared in the film version of Torch Song Trilogy, later was in an election, you Can Count on Me, The Stepford Wives, and Tower Heist. Continuing to work on Broadway, he won a second Tony for How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying and starred in the smash hit musical The Producers. Most recently, he was on the series Daybreak. He was born on this day in New York City, New York in 1962. And didn't he uh, smash into someone in Ireland and kill them and... Uh, I believe that is the that is the case. Yes, and mm-hmm. it was at the time that he was really breaking big as a movie star, and a PR yeah. rep uh, basically helped pave it over, fixed yeah. it up for him. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot of stories like that um, in uh, the biz. Jay Davidson was working as a fashion designer when he was discovered by a casting agent at a rap party for a film, who suggested him for the hard-to-cast part of Dill in the Neil Jordan film The Crying Game. Davidson had no interest in acting, but took the role for the money, becoming one of the most acclaimed performances of the year and receiving an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actor. He took a big payday for the science fiction film Stargate a year later, but didn't like show business enough to stay, making an appearance in one more TV movie before returning to the fashion industry. He was born on this day in Riverside, California in 1968. Max Pomerantz had a brief uh, brief moment as a child star when he played the lead role in the 1993 film Searching for Bobby Fischer, a role he landed because he was one of the USA's top 20 chess players in his age group. It was followed by the movie, the dog movie, Fluke, and he quickly lost his lost his interest in acting, coming back briefly for a role in Definitely Maybe in 2008. He was born on this day in New York City in 1984. Well, another child star who lost interest in the business after a few early roles, Alfred Letter III first got critical notice for his performance as Tommy in Martin Scorsese's Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, for which he was nominated for a BAFTA for Best Newcomer. He followed it with Woody Allen's Tolstoy spoof Love and Death and appeared in the mega-hit The Bad News Bears in 1976 and its sequel a year later, 
which is still his latest film to date. As an adult, he worked in website application development and systems architecture, founding Lutter Consulting and developing information systems for Fortune 100 companies such as AT&T, Southern California Edison, and Unocal. He was born on this day in Ridgewood, New Jersey in 1962. You know, Bill, you take a look at this kid when he was young and you figure and you think to yourself, yeah, he's going to grow up to design websites and <laughs> totally. application development. I know. He's so funny in that movie, though. He's so good. Yeah, it's I love Alice bad. doesn't live here anymore. Well, probably my favorite on the list, Bill, one of the most popular personalities of the last few decades, Rosie O'Donnell rose to fame as a stand-up comedian and had a brief stint on Give Me a Break, Who Could Forget That Show Mm -hmm. with Nell Carter, before becoming an instant star in the 1992 hit A League of Their Own. Quickly becoming a beloved character actress, she starred in Sleepless in Seattle, Another Stakeout, I'll Do Anything, The Flintstones, and Exit to Eden. Then after, af, then after film, uh, filming Harriet the Spy and noticing that it kept her from home and her children too much, she sought a more stable job. And that's when The Rosie O'Donnell Show began in 1996 and became one of the most popular daytime shows of the century, lasting until 2002 and winning her 11 Daytime Emmy Awards. From 2005 to 2015, she was a co-host of The View and has appeared on a number of game shows and acted on The Foresters, Smilf, and I Know This Much Is True. She was born on this day in Long Island, New York in 1962. And, uh, you know, Bill, I'm sure you know this better than anyone, but she has donated so much money to charity and has done so much Mm -hmm. for for causes that, uh, you know, it needs to be mentioned. Yeah, and she's still friends with Madonna almost 30 years later. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, Rosie O'Donnell's very cool. And it was while she was filming Harriet the Spy in Toronto, actually, that she had the epiphany when she came home and her son ran to the nanny instead of to her, that she decided she she didn't want to uh, work in movies anymore and she needed something that would uh, give her a stable home life. Right, right. Yeah. And, I, you know, if you weren't uh, around at the time that her show was on, it was huge. It, it was, was huge, huge yeah. like the Oprah Winfrey show, huge. Yeah, it was very huge. Uh, and you know, it's sort of the baton that Ellen took up after right. Ellen has lasted a lot longer as well, but Rosie had more of, um, Rosie's didn't feel as much like business the way Ellen's does. And of course that has to do with the time that it was on as sure. well, yep. but it felt just, it always felt cause Rosie, especially when she had people that she was a fan of on the show, it really always just felt like she was sharing her backstage experiences with us basically of like meeting her favorite celebrities. Most definitely. Yeah. Character actor James Coco made his Broadway debut in Hotel Paradiso in 1957. He won an Obie for The Moon and Yellow River in 1961. He also starred on stage in Auntie Mame, A Shot in the Dark, and Bell Book and Candle, and in the films Ensign Pulver, Tell Me That You Love Me, Junie Moon with Liza Minnelli, and as a fictional version of Fatty Arbuckle in the Merchant Ivory film The Wild Party. In 1981, he was nominated for an Oscar in Neil Simon's Only When I Laugh, later went on to appear in The Muppets Take Manhattan, episodes of Who's the Boss, and the 1987 comedy Hunk, released the same year he died at the age of 56. He was born on this day in New York City in 1930. Wow, he died so young. I bet we could have got a lot of more great performances out of that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was one of the only three people who was nominated for both a Razzie and an Oscar for the same film, Bill. For Only When I Laugh. Interesting. He's so great in that movie, though. I wonder what the Razzies were thinking. I don't know. Hmm. I love that movie, too. I think it's really good. 
uh, I haven't seen it, but I know him. Like I know, I just remember his face from the. Yeah, because he was a really a um, stock character, Italian American type, like the greasy right. fat uncle. You know, yeah. Like who did he play on? Who's the boss? His name was Maselli, so he was either his uncle or the his uncle, dad. right? Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So. Karen Kuzama worked as a doc- documentary editor and was assistant to John Sales, spending her free time working out at a boxing gym where she assembled ideas for her directorial breakthrough, Girl Fight, in 2000, which took the top prize at the Sundance Film Festival. She followed it with the science fiction film Eon Flux, the cult favorite Jennifer's Body, Episodes of Casual, Master of Sex, and The Man in the High Castle, and Halt and Catch Fire. In 2018, she directed Nicole Kidman in Destroyer, and this year will be directing the series Yellow Jackets. She was born on this day in Brooklyn in 1968. Kristen Anderson Lopez was pursuing a career as a Broadway performer when she discovered her talent as a lyricist, finding a perfect musical partner in her husband, composer Robert Lopez, who she married in 2003. Her career writing songs began with the BMI Lehman Engel Musical Theater Workshop before she and her husband wrote the songs for the Disney World production of Finding Nemo. Later co-wrote the musicals In Transit, Up Here, and Diary of a Worm. After her and Lopez's success with the songs from the 2011 Winnie the Pooh film, they had their biggest success with the 2013 animated film Frozen, winning an Oscar for the song that all the children in your life have (laughs) never stopped singing in eight years, Let It Go. Please let it go. (laughs) They wrote more songs for the film's sequel and won a second Oscar for the song Remember Me from Coco. They most recently wrote the music for the MCU series WandaVision. She was born on this day in New York City in 1972. Wow. Russ Meyer is best known for his controversial contribution to the sexual exploitation films of the 60s. His best-known film is the classic Faster Pussycat Kill Kill starring Tura Santana. Uh, He was a combat photographer during the Second World War who became a professional photographer later on, shooting some of the earliest Playboy centerfolds before making his entrance into filmmaking. His debut, The Immortal Mr. Tease, was the first softcore film to make a profit of over a million dollars in 1959, leading to his later self-financed hits, Mud Honey, Motorcycle, and Vixen. In the 70s, he was brought to the 20th Century Fox, where he was, uh, where he made Beyond the Valley of the Dolls and The Seven Minutes Before Returning to Independent Films like Super Vixens and Beneath the Valley of the Ultra Vixens. Called the Fellini of the Sex Industry, he died in 2004 at the age of 82, and he was born on this day in Oakland, California in 1922. Françoise d'Orléac studied at the Conservatoire d'Art de Ramartique and modeled for Christian Dior before making an impact in films, beginning with The Wolves in the Sheepfold and achieving stardom in 1964 with François Truffaut's The Soft Skin, That Man from Rio, and La Ronde, then appeared in Polanski's Cul-de-Sac. She had always had ambitions to be a movie star since childhood, and as a teenager, was forced by her parents to bring her sister along to auditions, because they were worried that uh, her sister was too shy. They both became actresses, her sister going by the name Catherine Deneuve, and they made one film together, The Young Girls of Rochefort, in 1967. That year, not long before completing her scenes in the Harry Palmer spy thriller Billion Dollar Brain, Dorléac's car flipped on a roadway in Nice, caught fire, and she was burned to death. She was born on this day in 1942. 
What a spectacular way to go. I know. Unfortunately, someone, there was someone who said that they actually saw it happen and like saw her burning in her car. It's really quite grisly. Yeah. Well, I guess that's one exit that Catherine Deneuve will not get over her sister. No. 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 Well, last on our our list, Bill, and I don't know if there's a more courteous way to end than with Kevin (laughs) Federline. Certainly my favorite on the list, Marco. I (laughs) admire him so much. Who doesn't, really? Yeah. Um, You know, he went from backup dancer to headline news when he married Britney Spears in October 2004. That marriage only lasted two years, and with uh, Spears, he had two children that became central in a highly publicized custody battle. Federline attempted his own music career. How's that going for him? Mm-hmm. Uh, with the singles y- uh, Y'all Ain't Ready and Popo Zow, yep. releasing his Rolls universally- right off the tongue. Yeah. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. Jesus. Releasing his uh, universally panned debut album, Playing With Fire, in 2006. He competed on WWE Raw, appeared on One Tree Hill, was on the reality show Celebrity Fight Club. I don't even know if he qualifies as a celebrity for that show Mm -hmm. and of course excess baggage and the film american pie presents the book of love he was born on this day in fresno california in 1978 no one ever made a tank top look more um unwashed than kevin federline he just always always looked rumpled to me for sure yeah oh man and he didn't he have like the the hint of a cheesy mustache when he married I her. I think that's, so. I think that's so. what always kills yeah. me when those people have that mustache that you're like you're supposed to shave that at twelve so it grows in like a man mustache. Yeah, to look at him like to look at how he's actually made. He's not. He's a he's a passably attractive guy. Like he's not hideous. Right. But uh, everything about him screams skeezy. You know. Right. Just, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. For sure. Well, Bill, listen. I hope you have a National Common Courtesy Day and you enjoy it. I hope you do too, Marco. And we'll see you tomorrow for more Born on This Day. See you then.